We love Ascent Nutrition. Ascent Nutrition was founded by my good friend Lance Shuttler, and it's making a huge difference in this community. They have a new product that is sweeping the nation, pine pollen. Last year, several prominent scientists started speaking out about the power of pine trees and the benefits they can offer us. Ascent Nutrition offers raw, wild-crafted pine pollen. Pine pollen contains 200 nutrients in it, making it a true superfood. It's nature's highest source of phytohormones, which support hormone and libido health for men and women. Pine pollen also supports brain health, detoxification, as well as many facets of cardiovascular health. Their pine pollen is selling fast. It's literally flying off the shelves. Ascent Nutrition is on a mission of offering deeply transformative and helpful nutrients to as many people as possible to help bring about a great collective shift in human consciousness and human health. To order your pine pollen supply and check out everything Ascent Nutrition has to offer, use the link in the description or visit GoAscentNutrition.com and use coupon code FKN to get 10% off your entire purchase. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Michael Feely. First, I have a couple of announcements. We are hoping to hit the road this summer and start production on the Forbidden Documentary. We're also hoping to be able to stop along the way and maybe visit as many of you as possible. We can't do it without your help. The price of gas is incredibly ridiculous. If you would like to help, you can go to supportfkn.com or we have a PayPal link in the description. Also, any donation made through supportfkn.com, you get access to research going into Corey Hughes' new book about the JFK assassination. Anything, guys, is greatly appreciated. Forbidden Knowledge News, always available on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, and all podcast platforms. Do check us out on Rockfin. That's where you get our premium content, as well as all the premium content from all the creators on Rockfin. You can just go to rockfin.com slash FKN plus or click the link in the description. And finally, check out our website, which is forbiddenknowledge.news, also the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. You find amazing podcasts from our community there. Today I want to welcome Michael Feely. He is a former UK police officer and now ancient code breaker and spiritual life coach who has authored seven paperback books with others currently in production and several ebooks on various esoteric subjects. He is also an international conference speaker and global radio contributor. He is a longtime experiencer of paranormal and UFO phenomena, and he now uses his 17 years of evidence-gathering knowledge and investigative training to break many ancient codes that have previously remained a mystery throughout the world. Michael, welcome. How you doing? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for asking. Of course, yeah, this is going to be fantastic. You have a fascinating background with so many extraordinary experiences, as well as you're a code breaker with 17 years experience of decoding ancient and ongoing mysteries. And you're one of those guests that I can really go in any direction with. You have so much information to present, but I really want to start tonight with just more about yourself and your background and what led you down your path. Well, that's a brilliant place to start. Uh, my, my background really was in UK law enforcement. And 
Uh, at the age of 26, I entered into a 30-year career in the police force. And I worked in England's two biggest cities. And I always worked as a patrol officer in a city environment. And it learned me the art of investigation. It learned me a lot about humanity, learned me a lot about myself. I was absolutely dedicated and married to this particular occupation. I received many accolades and many awards for, for the work that I was doing. And I was headhunted by many different departments who wanted me to, to join them. But I always refused because I wanted to be in the thick of it on the front line. So I entered into a 30-year career. It took quite a while to actually get into that career because it's a difficult occupation to get into. But once you're in, then you are expected to stay there for, for the, the duration of, of your career. Probably, I actually left in 2009, which was year 17 of 30. So probably about 12 months before I actually left, I was becoming very disillusioned with the way politics was entering the service and, and preventing me from doing the things that I joined to do. So it, it sort of gave me a bit of a, an emotional turmoil in terms of decisions and, and in, a, in a conflict of some of the things that I was witnessing and, and being asked to do. At the same time, which I, I don't think was any by any means a coincidence, I was beginning to experience an absolute multitude of what you would deem paranormal, supernatural, for want of a better expression. And that was, that was including being on night duty and looking up at the sky and seeing a dimensional gateway wormhole opening up and continuing, obviously, to watch this phenomenon in the sky. And then to then see a craft coming out of that wormhole into our reality. And the craft would continue across the sky and the wormhole would just dissipate, just disappear. And there'd be many other incidents where, again, on night duty, I was potentially involved in a an unseen UFO landing. I was involved in telepathic invites to certain locations. So for anybody who's seen the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the, the actual storyline of that movie has personally happened to me. I'd be out in the middle of the afternoon on a Saturday afternoon in a crowded street, a uh, crowded city, and look up at the sky and see three gigantic cigar-shaped UFOs just there hovering, no sound, no anything. And there have been all of these kind of things that were, were beginning to happen to me. I, I experienced a conscious time travel backwards in time, and not physically, but in a conscious remote viewing session. And it took me back to the scene of a crime that I was uh, sort of involved in, which turned out to be, although I didn't know at that particular time, it turned out to be 159 years in my past, to the year 1850, which was Victorian England under Queen Victoria. So this was now beginning to obviously overtake my life. And it was now beginning to make me expand on, on my, should we say, perception of what life is and what reality is. And it was beginning to take me further and further away from the person that I was before these things began to happen to me. <clears throat> so as a result of the disillusionment of the service, and as a result of the, the, uh, an absolute bombardment of otherworldly things. It turned my life 360. And for anyone who's watching who's experienced anything, you realise that you can never go back to what you were <clears throat> because it has changed you forever. You know, you, you can't you can't just get just rewind the tape and pretend it never happened because it has and it was continued to happen. So literally I, I resigned from the service with, with nothing at all to go into no ideas of what I wanted to go into because I expected to be there for 30 years and then to retire and then have a pension and then do what what I what I wanted really with the time would have been mine. But fate, circumstance, pre-contracts, whatever it turns out to be, had other plans. And from that point on, from the point of leaving, I then began to have more and more experiences. But where in the beginning I was purely an experiencer, I was now being given information that would answer what I was experiencing. And then that would progress and advance even further into the likes of, of quantum equations that were planted in my head, to genetic uh, repair formulas that were planted in my head, <clears throat> to be given numbers in a dream state, which when I, when I woke up and remembered them, turned out 
to actually be quite secret and significant. And I then began to see advanced te technology in, in the form of see-through spheres, see-through orbs that would enter my house, where I was able to see the inner mechanisms of, of, of these spheres, and it was, it was advanced technology. So all in all, it's been a, should we say, a, an interesting, interesting decade plus, and it took me from there to here. Wonderful. I mean, I love hearing experiences like this. And there have been so many, including myself, that have had experiences, paranormal, unexplained experiences that completely change the path of their life. Uh, and this is that seems to be the, the very much so the same for yours. And you're right. Once you experience something, there's no going back. You have this sense of knowing and understanding. Um, when did you start to get a better understanding of of why and the reasons that you were being contacted? I know that for myself and many other experiencers, they, it, it's such a personal experience. Uh, most of the things that I've been shown were for my own personal growth and development and consciousness evolution. Um, for you, what was your understanding of why these entities were choosing you or are talking to you? Well, they've actually answered that question directly. And basically, from, from the time I was born here, unbeknown to me, uh, I was always being prepped and always being prepared <clears throat> in, different, in different ways. And to be told that from the time that you were born, you were chosen to do this. And the reason that I've seen so much and experienced so much was purely in order. So I had the ability really to, to help others who were experiencing the same thing. So what, what they basically said to me was, you, you must have experienced it in order to speak about it and to teach about it. So it almost gives you a bit of you know, credibility that, that when I'm on, on the platform and on the stage talking about these things, to have actually seen it and, and done it and, and experienced it and come through it because then that gives you a little bit more validity about the things that you're speaking. And really, the, the last decade plus has, 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 has had its fair share of cryptic messages. I mean, for, for argument's sake, in, in 2010, which was literally within a year of my what I would class my major awakening, even though I'd, I'd seen things leading up to the, to the major awakening, my wife and I decided that we wanted to go on vacation to Egypt. But... We just both had this real, real strong gut feeling that it was just an excuse to get us there. And it felt like it was a lot more than, than just a vacation. And literally just out of the blue, 10 days before we got on the aeroplane, I received a cryptic message from who turned out to be a psychic medium in Scotland who I'd never met, who didn't know me. But she said that she had a message from her spiritual council. I have that message here now so I can read it verbatim and not get it wrong. Yeah. And it says, now bear in mind, this is the first time I've, I've heard from this lady. I didn't know who she was. And she gets in touch and says, regarding your trip to Egypt, you will help uncover more insights and translate ancient knowledge brought to us from a great distance. Under the Sphinx lies an ancient secret knowledge that will be added to your toolbox. Use this wisely for the benefit of all. All, meaning past, present, and future, it all belongs together in the same place. You must absorb, accept, understand, and finally know. Only then can you share and teach. She also says on a further email, that I needed to get as close to the right-hand side of the Sphinx as I possibly could. Wow. <clears throat> so we get we, we go to, to Egypt 10 days later. Our first trip that we pre-booked before we got to Egypt was an internal flight to Cairo to go to the museum, to go down the Nile, to spend some time in the desert with the Bedouin tribe, and, of course, to go to the, the, the Giza complex. And as we get there, for anyone who's ever been to Giza, it's, it's just chaotic. Cairo is just chaotic. You know, you think New York or London is bad. Cairo is, is far worse. And we, we get there, we get off the couch. You're shepherded up this very, very narrow uphill outdoor corridor. 
that you can't see anything. It's, it's literally just bricked up. And wherever the crowd goes is where you go. You have no choice. You, you are just shepherded along. And when you get to this, the, the top of this narrow uphill corridor, which is outdoor, and you turn to your right, you see the Sphinx of Egypt there. And just as my wife and I get to the top and we walk towards the Sphinx, two people walk away that gives a gap just big enough for the two of us to slot into. And it turned out to be the closest point to the right-hand side of the Sphinx as you can possibly get. So now there's all of these synchronicities that are starting to happen as well. Interestingly, I've done so the Great Pyramid and do different, different things. But on the face of it, nothing occurred. Nothing happened on the face of it until seven years later. Now, seven is a significant number because all the numbers within the Great Pyramid are seven or they are divisible by seven because the number seven is the key number of the third dimension. So seven years later, as I'm just walking one afternoon or one early evening by myself through just normal streets, normal place, I just heard this strange whoosh sound and I felt as if I was in some kind of bubble, but it was, I was still in my reality. I could still see the same buildings. I was still on the same highway. But when I looked around, turned to my left, there was an Egyptian pharaoh walking alongside me. And as I looked at the pharaoh to my left, simultaneously, I could see him walking towards me. And I could also look through his eyes, which I subsequently found out was known as spiritual concentration, which is part of ancient initiations, where you become the object you're observing. So, and then literally it didn't say anything, or she, they were just marching with pride alongside me, probably about 40, 50, 60 seconds, and then they just gone disappeared. And in the same sort of area of time, uh, I'd be seeing scarab beetles literally manifesting out of my, my wall at home and, and different things relating to Egypt. And that then started my journey in relation to piecing together the sacred knowledge of, of the ancients and what the pyramids before were all, were all these ancient monuments were really about, how they were connected, and not only how they were connected to each other on Earth, but how they were also connected mathematically and by theme to monoliths and monuments on the planets of the solar system, which were each given each other's location precisely by mathematical longitude and latitude coordinates. So that really was opening a key. It was opening up something inside me, but it wasn't until seven years later did all of this mystery start. Man, that's a perfect segue into some of the actual mysteries and revelations that I want to get to that were that have been revealed to you over the years. And I think that the pyramids would probably a, be a good place to start. Um, what? Tell us about some of the information that you were given about the pyramids and, and how and what way you were receiving it. Okay. If you imagine in the same instant you get a question and an answer pop into your head. If you imagine you now Isaac Newton walking across the field and he sees the apple dropping from the tree. And from that, he gets the whole idea of, of the theory of gravity, just based on that one observation. And that is pretty much how it began to happen and how it continues to happen. Sometimes it will be an image, which will be an answer. Sometimes it will be a message saying, uh, that's right, or just need to look into that a little bit more or you just need to forget that and and look at this and it's basically just completely building up this this network this blueprint of what the ancients were talking about and and, and originally when i began to look into these civilizations i was dealing with them as an individual independent entity and but i soon found out that it was the same knowledge that came from the one central place which was egypt or what we know as egypt and it's spread out across the world. So wherever you find monoliths and monuments throughout the world, those that have been discovered and those are, that are yet to be discovered, it was from the same people, the same race, the same advanced spiritual humans that spread out and disembarked. So wherever you find these places is where they were. And because of that, it was the same knowledge that was spread out across the world. The only difference was 
it was interpreted differently due to the civilizations. So it's the same knowledge. When you look at all the religious books of the world, they're really all talking about the same thing. There is no distinction between the religions. When you look at their esoteric deep messages, they're all talking about the same thing and the characters are all the same characters of a different name. So the, the pyramid, who doesn't love the pyramids? You know, and, and of course, there's never one reason for these monuments and monoliths. They are multi-purpose. But what I've found out is from what creation is, from how creation manifests in the different dimensions, tells you about the pyramid. So if you imagine that we have this unity, which lives in simultaneously nothing and everything, and in order for spirit, which is the character we know as God, to advance itself and to grow, it needed to create resistance. But that resistance is what we know as matter, which is the law of matter, which is the character we know as Satan. And we have the law of spirit, which is the character we know as God. So we now have two complementary halves of the same being. One positive, one negative, which is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is creation. And when this dimensionless unity recognizes itself in the third dimension, it manifests as the triangle. Because when you have a point of departure, it is the dot. Now, when you get a dot and that dot moves in any direction, it becomes a line. A line is potentially infinite. But in a world like we have, which has a beginning and an end, that line has to be confined. And it is confined in the triangle. The law of the triad, which is which, which is in part of all of creation. So we have God manifesting the third dimension, which is the triangle. So when you have a three-dimensional triangle, you get a pyramid. So what does a pyramid really mean? Your viewers now are going to learn what very few people on this world know. The fabric and building blocks of matter, which is what we are, is the cube. So on this occasion, I'm going to show you a dice that represents the cube. So that is matter. That is the building blocks of matter, the material world. Now, if you were to cut or shave off the, the, the four top corners of a cube, you get a pyramid. So what the pyramid represents is God, divinity within matter. Those who have found their own divinity, their own spiritual self, are the pyramid because they have found their divine within matter. That is what the pyramid is. And when we only concentrate on our material side, we crucify our divine on the cross. And we become the criminal who observes the crucifixion of our divinity, which is why you have three crosses at Calvary in the Bible, because we are letting our divine be sacrificed for the material world. And the material world deals with money, power, control, lust, imposing of will. All of these things is Satan. Now, when you get the word live, as in Satan alive within matter, and you reverse the word live, it becomes evil. So evil in mystical terms, is the opposite polarity of eternity, which is death, which is to expire. And that is why we say the devil will take you. So the pyramid represents those who have found their divine self within their physical, material body and existence. <clears throat> that is what the pyramid is. Now, as far as I, I think that's 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 beautiful, and if this is uh, you know truly uh, if the pyramid is a rep representation of that, does it have any other purposes other than just being a representation of that spiritual aspect of what we are? It has it has many. I mean, there's they are ley line markers. Uh, ley lines are basically magnetic energy lines of the Earth created by the movements of tectonic plates. They mark 
where the ley lines are. They are portals and they are worldly portals and off-worldly portals. So people can travel from pyramid to pyramid and from Earth to, to other monuments on, on other planets. They are the harnesses of volcanic field lava, which is liquid light, which they use as fuel in teleportation. They basically, just a complete network and a library of the whole history of humanity inside the different sealed rooms. Now, when I was talking about number seven uh, being significant in, in the third dimension, there are secret entrances in the Great Pyramid and the Sphinx as well that you cannot see with the naked eye. But one of them is at the top of the pyramid, south facing. Now, when you use a certain word in a certain frequency at a certain time, which is the time being seven or divisible by seven, there is a stone that slides exactly seven feet and it leads you 980 feet down into the ground. Now, just to put that into some kind of perspective, that is almost the height of the Eiffel Tower in Paris downwards. And there are multiple rooms that also have sealed doors that open by sound and by octaves. Now, when you look at the word stone, which all these monuments are built with, the word stone means father and son. Now, the Giza complex is the original Bible. So stone means father and son, which are two aspects of the Trinity. So when you analyze the word son further, in Hebrew, son is ben or bena, which means to build. But the word son also gives us sound, sonic and resonance resonance so what they are telling you is that they were built by sound and you are able to levitate by sound you are able to create laser beams by sound which is why they're so finely cut and they were also able to mark out dimensions of, of rocks just like the uh, the temple in petra where you see this this beautiful building inside the rock they were able to mark out the dimensions of what they wanted and instantly dematerialize anything outside of those dimensions. So instantaneously, you get the likes of, of, of Petra, which is built in, in, carved inside the rock because they dematerialized everything outside of the, the dimensions that they wished. And who did this? There was an advanced race of humans called the Sons of God. Not the biblical Son of God, but the Sons of God because they operated on the seventh, again, the number seven, the seventh plane of consciousness, which is the God state. And they were the ones with the elongated skulls that you find at all ancient sites around the world because they needed a greater brain center in order to be have greater spiritual abilities and capabilities. And those are the ones who built these monuments. And they built them as a, as a silent witness and a legacy to the knowledge and wisdom that once reigned upon the earth. And they were the ones that disembarked all over the planet and beyond the planet. And wherever they disembarked, it's almost like putting the flag on the moon. Mm. They put the monuments and the monoliths to, as testament to insulate that advanced technology and their knowledge. Man, that would it would make so much sense, uh, and it does, especially when you're talking about the the elongated skulls, ancients, and their locations to you know finding finding evidence that they were uh, always uh, located near megalithic structures, um, and it, that it was a global uh, phenomenon that these ancients had elongated skulls. Now, the big question that kind of divides a lot of people in this community is. Were they just advanced humans, like you say, or were they from, you know, maybe a different extraterrestrial race or something maybe d uh, genetically modified from another extraterrestrial race? Or what I tend to go with is just like you're saying, very different types of humans. Um, I think that many different types of humanoids existed throughout time from giants to little people to elongated skull people, but not necessarily coming from different planets. And I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, my thoughts on, on extraterrestrials uh, are, are that they are advanced spiritual humans. But you have 
basically frequency matching, you have uh, compatibility of frequency. And what I mean by that is we are all on a journey of discovery. And in the past, in the, in the ancient past, you would have initiations that were conducted in pyramids and temples and so on. But what is initiation? It's really just the expansion of your own vessel, your own body, in order to be able to tolerate and cope with the undiluted divine frequencies that, that, that were coming in. So that really is all initiation is. And when you get to a certain level of spiritual development, you are no longer compatible with, for argument's sake, the frequencies of Earth. And as a consequence of that, you will continue your journey in other star systems because they, are, they have a more compatible frequency to where you are at that particular time. So to me, a lot of the positive extraterrestrials are advanced spiritual humans anyway, who naturally would want to come back and would want to help us because they were once where we were. They were once ourselves. And when you look at the likes of Rendlesham, whatever your opinions are on, on Rendlesham, when one of the airmen touched the alien writing on the craft, they had a complete download of binary code. And that binary code was deciphered and the first part of it was the evaluation of humanity. They are coming back to see where we are and mm. see how much we've advanced and so on and so on. So, so a lot of the extraterrestrial things, and I've, I've stood next to extraterrestrial beings and I've interacted with them, they are advanced spiritual humans. Where the, where the, the UFO community are, in my opinion, limiting themselves is because they believe that the UFO phenomenon is different to spirituality. It yes. is different to the ancient world. It is now different. In, in the same vein, those within the spiritual circles believe that their subject is different to the UFO community. It isn't. And how I've likened that is if you imagine a hotel, and in those, that hotel there's different rooms, and in each room there's a different community of truth but they've closed their individual doors and they're just operating as an absolute reality just within those four walls. They are not making the connection with all the other rooms. So whatever you wish to talk about, whatever subject you wish it to be, angels, fairies, the fae, the elves, the unicorns, the, the dragons, the, the, the extraterrestrials, the spiritual, it is no different. It is the same subject. Mm. And, and the more and more people that realise that, they will then have the chance to expand themselves instead of limiting themselves just to one room of a, of a large hotel. Yeah, I think you're 100% spot on on that, and I am encouraged to see more and more people in this community kind of coming together and comparing notes because uh, I absolutely think you're right. It's all part of the same spiritual being the key word phenomenon, uh, and I think it's uh, each person, like I said earlier, that experiences it's so personal to them. Uh, like an example I like to give in my, my experience, uh, what I from what I understand is my spirit guides had me uh, clear up some childhood trauma that was key keeping me from progressing in my life and you know that that's not what most people think of an alien contact whenever you uh you know talk about things like that they think about you know you getting probed in the the butt or exper or uh, getting dna experiments or, or hybrid children or something like that they don't think about you uh clearing up childhood trauma and things of that nature so that's why i think you know you're spot on and this is definitely such a personal growth phenomena um but i do want to i want to get back to some of the um the megalithic structures especially uh, in Egypt and of course, of course we, we find these all over the world but what about obelisks what what are the uh, is there a specific purpose for these uh, structures again there's never just one purpose but the mm -hmm. obelisks in the world again there's, there's obelisks on the moon so Neil Armstrong wasn't the first on the moon there's, because there's Egyptian obelisks there there's also pyramids on the moon and Venus and Mercury and Saturn and, and different places. So our history is, is kind of false. The, the obelisk, you, you go back to basically the Egyptian god Osiris, which, which is really means open eye. Os, Iris is the open eye, and it refers to the opened seat of consciousness, which is the pineal gland. Now, the word pineal also gives you penile. So the obelisk is also the penis of the mind. 
And again, it refers to the pineal gland, which is the seat of consciousness. Yes, it is. It's also related to the phallus, as does a church spire. But a spire just means to breathe. So when you control your breath, you control your sexual energy. So you control the phallus, which is the church spire. And this is what obelisks are as well. So the obelisk is, is in sexual alchemy. It is the phallus. It is the only part of, of Osiris that couldn't be found when he was chopped up by Set. But that, that's really a mythological story about the moon and different things. And when, when Osiris uh, was mummified in, in mythology, grain grew from him. So in other words, in the breaking of the bread ceremony of Osiris, he said, take this bread as my body. Now you may recognize that later as the, as the Last Supper and Christ story, but it came from Egypt. So the, phall the, the phallus or, or the obelisk really is the seat of consciousness, which is the pineal gland or the penile gland. <clears throat> and the whole of the ancient world are talking about spiritual enlightenment, now, what I did is, is, is I got, I drew a, a, a human head and I put it over the Great Pyramid. And what I realised is that where you find the likes of the, the Queen's Chamber and the King's Chamber, it marks the endocrine system of the human mind. The endocrine system is the secretion within the pituitary gland and the pineal gland. So they were talking about the seat of consciousness. And consciousness and enlightenment and knowledge and wisdom was the important facet in the ancient world as it is today with that information that has come forward into secret societies into symbols and codes and and the egyptian symbols throughout royalty throughout christianity throughout every church comes from egypt and you even have christ encrypted within the mathematics of the great pyramid you have the new jerusalem encrypted within the diameters of the sinks and you have the biblical measurement of the Ark of the Covenant correlates exactly to the dimensions of the sarcophagus of the Queen's Chamber, <clears throat> of the King's Chamber, my apologies. So you have the original Bible, which was Giza. Noah's Ark is the Great Pyramid. And all of these different things correlate to what we now know as Christianity. But Christianity is no different to Islam to Hinduism, to mm. Sikhism, to Judaism. It is all the same core, but people have translated the, the same knowledge differently. Yes, man, that makes so much sense. I want to go back to the Sphinx for a minute. Um, there are researchers that claim that there are, you know, um, chambers underneath the Sphinx that might contain uh, ancient technologies or uh, archives. What do you think? Uh, what do you think about those theories? Yes, and um, they've been insulated so they don't get into the wrong hands. And they were insulated by the final in initiates of, of the Giza complex many, many thousands of years ago. I've actually dated the Great Pyramid by Egyptian star codes as being 73,440 years of age. So we're talking a long, long time ago. And the Sphinx really represents man. The riddle of the Sphinx is man. And the aspect of man that it represents is man's potential. It tells you how to become the God state. And that is the New Jerusalem, that is heaven on earth, which is the diameters of the Sphinx. So, yes, there are, again, there are secret chambers in there. There are secret doorways which slide open also in, in the Temple of the Sphinx as well. And they lead down into the ground where you find, again, the catalogue of the whole of humanity that deals with every single aspect of humanity and gives a specific date that some people have, have, have mistranslated as being the Armageddon, the end of the world, and that year was 2001. Mm. <clears throat> the reason it's 2001 is because the Egyptians had 360-year cycles that they, they mentioned, and they mentioned the re-emergence of ancient knowledge reaching society on the 17th 360-year cycle. That began in 2001. And it is a, a specific date that has been encoded within the Great Pyramid 2001. That is when the generation that was going to receive this knowledge that was time capsuled to reappear now, that's when it was going to start to be drip fed back into society because it stood the most chance of succeeding. So that is the 2001 date 
that has been found in the Atlantic Pyramid. They talk about the Adam uh, era, which is really the fall of man. It, again, it is a metaphor. When you look at what does the Garden or the East of Eden, or the Garden of Eden mean? When you analyze the words, it basically means to fall from eternity into confinement for a limited time. That is what this is. That is what the, the East of Eden, the Garden of Eden means, biblically. We come here for a limited time in a confinement in the Garden of Eden. Mm. And the Adam era is the fall of man, because when we come from a, a celestial place to a terrestrial place, and the only way we can do that is through the womb, which is the Holy Grail. Now, the letter Q gives us the yoni and the waters, the mother's waters. And that is the only way that we can come into this realm through the mother's womb, which is the Holy Grail, the chalice, the, the, the vessel of God. And when we come into this, this world, we have fallen. We have fallen from the stars because each and every one of us are not from here. Our genetics was programmed in the universe and our physical body comes from the, the nursery of Orion, the constellation of Orion by the triple alpha effect, where explosions of the dead stars create oxygen and carbon, which has created the human body on Earth. So we are not from Earth. And altar of a church means the place of sacrifice, and the womb is referred to as the place of sacrifice. So when we come into this world, we, we come into a, a world that really where humanity is of animalistic nature, so in other words, it's a stable, a place of animals. Now you may begin to start recognising the deputy play because the divine child is born in the stable in an animalistic world where he has to resurrect himself. That is the living re uh, resurrection, which is the ascension of yourself. And we use the energy of the 12 revelations, which is the 12 zodiac signs. Pinnacally, we use the energy of Capricorn, Capricornus, which is the goat, which rules December, which is why Christianity tells us that the divine child was born in December. Now, the goat, it had different translations later on, but originally the goat, the Capricorn, was a symbol of the divine child. And what do we call our children? We call them kids, the goat. So we have to resurrect ourselves with spiritual knowledge, with the burning bush of Moses, which is the illumination of the mind. Now, so all of these things is, is telling us the, the illumination itself. Do you think that there are certain factions and, and secret societies that have taken and used this knowledge and used forms of religion to uh, as a tool for for their own gain to keep us uh, in a certain state of, of obedience and somewhat slavery to those that are keepers of this knowledge and uh, refuse to share it with us because they want us to keep us in this certain state of, of lower vibratory uh, existence what do you think about that it's exactly that. A lot of people pose a very good question. On the one hand, you, you're saying, or they say to me, that you're saying that the so-called elites of this world, which just means God's chosen ones, but the so-called elites of this world, they have all of this advanced knowledge that was once used for the good of all, and yet their actions don't reflect this advanced knowledge. So why is that? And the reason that is is because they were originally initiates. In other words, they were they were entered into this, this sacred world, universal, worldly astronomical knowledge. And they understood it and they had that knowledge and they, they were the knowledge carriers. But certain few of them chose to degrade that knowledge into the black arts, into black magic. And those are the ones who are running the planet now. So you have initiation, advanced knowledge, but it's being misused for self-service rather than for the good of all. And one of the things with black magic, in order for it to, to work in, in their belief system, you have to tell people what you are doing, which is what they do. But they don't tell us in black and white. They're sometimes encrypted. They're sometimes encoded what they're doing. 
but nevertheless, they are still telling us. So the reason that, that these elites, which they're not by any means of the world, but that's the title they give themselves, mm-hmm. they have degraded what was once the sacred advanced knowledge for self-gain. Now, when you look at self-gain, when you look at the lust for power, when you look at the, the infringement of people's liberties, when you look at the imposition of your will onto, onto others, when you want to control all the resources of the world, when you have a monetary system where you control the banks, that is satanic consciousness. It is the Lord of matter. So you are bringing Satan alive within you. And Satan is the negative side of the law of spirit, which is the character we know as God. They, that is why when people say, live in a satanic consciousness but they don't necessarily understand what they're saying that is what it is yeah that man i think that is spot on i love it man we could talk for hours about this stuff Um, i want to go back to ancient megaliths and structures you've done some um you've had some revelations about the heads of easter island as well could you talk a little bit about that again yes i mean in totality, that they are they are thirty three feet in height from feet to head, but strangely, you can't see the bodies unless you dig and, and and expose them. You can just see their heads, which are facing east, which is obviously the illumination of the sun. When we look at the word oriental, what it is telling us, it is to orientation towards the east. So we we must sort of basically put ourselves in the east, which is the illumination. So oriental, the orient, orienteering, you are basically just following the illumination, which is in the east. So why can you just see the heads of these statues? Because there's a hidden meaning, as, as always. And the hidden meaning is most people just identify with their matter, with their material body. They, they are stuck within a five sense consciousness. And they can't see anything beyond that. So some people just deny the fact that there's UFOs, that that, that there's other realities all around us all the time, because they are well and truly stuck within matter, which becomes their absolute reality of a five-sense consciousness. What the heads of Easter Island are telling you is that you must concentrate on a divine mind, the Galgotha, the place of enlightenment, and not a body of five senses, the consciousness of the five senses. That is what they are telling you. They are telling you to concentrate on this and beyond this in order to, again, elevate yourself to the higher octave, which then moves you closer towards the solar forces, which is the sound of the cosmic plane, which is the lateral octave, which is where the solar bodies are, which is where the great octave stars are, which are the likes of your suns. So when we look in the, in the sky at night and we see the stars, they are suns for their own systems but they are great octave stars. And the whole of the universe is an octave. It is a sound. It is the lateral octave. It is the ray of creation. And a lot of people are on the lower scale of the octave as opposed to the higher octave, which is when you have the higher consciousness, the higher spiritual enlightenment. If you imagine the further away you are down, down the scale of the octaves to the lower scale, then you are really getting further and further and further away from the light. So that the light that you have is really dim. The thoughts that you have are very limited. It's almost like sailing further and further and further away from the shore on a boat until eventually the shore is not in sight. You know, you are getting further and further and further and further away from the higher octaves of the universe, which is where spiritual enlightenment exists. And that is what the Eds of Easter Island are telling us in, in a statue. Man, wonderful. Uh, earlier you mentioned that we are from the nursery of Orion. Um, and I think back to the Sumerian mythos of the the two celestial brothers in Lilaninki that uh, basically took hominid DNA, mixed it with their celestial DNA, and we have humans as their slaves or whatever they created them for. Uh, yeah. I want to get your thoughts on on this story and if you know how accurate you think that is, if at all, or is this just another um, kind of indoctrination story or something that has been twisted and misunderstood over the years? What has happened, and, and, and I, I chose to look at the Zachariah Sitchin version of the Sumerian scrolls because that seems to be the most 
widely uh, accepted. Mm. <clears throat> what Zachariah did, what most people do to the likes of the Bible, which is purely a literal translation without looking at the depths of the meaning. So when you get the, the Anunnaki story and you actually analyze the Anunnaki story, it is talking about, once again, human potential. Now, the Anunnaki didn't create DNA. That was already created. That was already programmed. That was already encrypted with language. Mm. That was a universal thing. That was not the Anunnaki. And as I say, the body, the human body, when a star explodes and dies in the Orion nursery, the Orion nebula, it creates carbon and oxygen, the triple alpha effect, which gives us the physical carbon and oxygenated body. So we are not from here. Now, there's, what I found with, with investigation is if parts of the story do not make sense and they do not add up evidentially, then you call into question the whole of the story. And when you look at the likes of what Zachariah has said or translated about the Snake Brothers, the Shetty bringing the moon to Earth, but when they came to Earth, they found higher forms of life on Earth. Well, without the moon, there is no higher life forms on Earth because the moon keeps us in a 23 and a half degree tilt, which makes the oceans liquid, which gives us four seasons and which gives us inhabitable heat on this planet. So the Anunnaki couldn't have bought it and found higher forms of life here because there's no such thing without the moon being in this place. Where, when, when you look at this, this 450,000 year time that Zachariah says that, that this happened, well, there's tidal rhythmites on Earth that tell you that the moon was in its position 2.2 billion years ago. So again, it calls into question the Zachariah timing. <clears throat> now, when I've looked at the different aspects of the Anunnaki story, I have found that it relates to DNA, but it's relating to the activation of human DNA into spiritual giants. And spiritual giants just simply means as a metaphor, those with a higher than average insight or knowledge. They were known as the spiritual giants. That is why we see the giants Mount Olympus in Greece, and that's why we see the giants in the Anunnaki story. So if we start to analyze the different individual names, Anu in Egyptian is man, Enki and Enlil is the double helix of DNA. And when you look at the likes of Alalu, who is meant to be the supervisor of the expedition of gold, Alalu means wave genetics, which is how genetics is formed, like planets are formed, with different things. So the whole of the Anunnaki story, it is a deep subject, and I've gone into it at great depth and analysed the, the different parts of the Anunnaki story, but I have found that it is a metaphor and a reference to the reactivation of human DNA, which will make us a new human, and it will reconnect us to the galactic consciousness. And that is what the Anunnaki story is telling us. When you look at the likes of Nibiru and Itaz, a 3,600-year orbit, <clears throat> according to, to the translation. But the Sumerians wrote a large circle as 3,600, and a circle is creation. That's what a circle is. It is geometric creation. It is, is a, a sphere of influence, just like a planet. So when you're looking in, in, in the Egyptians, and uh, when you see the solar belt of Khufu in the Great Pyramid, that boat in Egypt is the same as what the Greeks had with Sharon on the river Styx, with take the soul across the river. So the big boat of the Great Pyramid takes the souls across the river of the sky, which is the duet, which takes you to Orion and Sirius. So it is the, the, the Greek version of the river Styx and Sharon. But obviously the Greek one was, was a copy of the Egyptian. That boat is Nibiru. All that right. is what, what Nibiru is. Right. So, again, it, it's basically telling us about human potential in the exact same way as the Bible. Every single character, a significant character of the Bible is, is talking about the same thing. You know, Noah is really the seven chakras. Mm -hmm. When you look at the, the likes of Moses, Moses, well, Moses was born in Egypt, and that is correct. 
because when you look at the word Egypt, or the Egyptian name for Egypt, it's Kehemet, which is K-E-M-E-T. Now in Hebrew, the M in Kehemet is a capital M. And M is water, it's Mem. Moses is drawn from the water. So when you take the capital M of the word Kehemet, which is Egypt, you get Moses born within Egypt. And Moses, when, when you go from captivity, which is your lower chakras, to the promised land, which is the land promised, the mystics call that the path of least resistance or the open sea. Now we start to have the parting of the Red Sea of the Moses story. Wow. And when you get to Sinai, which means teeth in Egyptian, it means the nourishment of spiritual knowledge, which is how we have the burning bush, the fornix, the illumination of the mind. Cain yeah. and Abel. Cain means empty. Abel means spirit. Cain killed his spirit. <clears throat> Man, this is great. There's so many layers and layers to all of this stuff. Uh, it's, you know, once you, you get to, to a certain a section that you think is truth there's more to it and it goes deeper and deeper i love exploring this stuff i want to go back to something you said in the beginning though you witnessed um a dimensional portal opening in the sky uh now based off of that do you think that and all your other experiences do you think that there are what we would consider non-human entities as well that are from different dimensional realities or, or um, different frequencies or, or places that are just beyond the spectrum of our capable vision that exist around us at all time that also have an effect on each of our uh, individual existences. Absolutely. I've actually witnessed two portals. One of one of them was the one I mentioned in the sky, uh, the wormhole that literally just appeared and, and the craft came out of it. And also mm. one when I was with uh, my wife and, and a couple of friends and we were in pitch black, dense forestry. No cars, no people, no traffic. It was so pitch black you couldn't see in front of you. And all of a sudden, this large, pure white light just appeared in the, amongst the trees. And it was so bright you couldn't actually look into it. And, and when we look back at the photograph, there's orbs coming in and out of, 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 of this, this bright light. In relation to other off-worldly dimensional entities, yes. There's so many different realities that are in existence around us all of the time. And because we are not at a frequency that is compatible with those realities we, we often don't see them occasionally we do catch a glimpse of them and occasionally with what is known as a, as a pseudo appearance we actually enter into another reality and we become the ghosts in their reality but we don't often know and i've had an experience where i have been looking at a ghost who's been looking at me and i think we're thinking the same thing who are you because we are ghosts in each other's reality so when you look at, for argument's sake, everything in the universe, everything in creation as a whole, let's just call it 100%, 100% frequency spectrum. We as humans within a five sense consciousness see less than 1% of that 100% spectrum of frequencies. So that begs the question, what is in the 99 plus percent that we don't normally see? that is where a lot of things are happening. Mm. And sometimes, just sometimes, we catch a glimpse of them. And so it is just really a, a slight adjustment of the frequency of the mind and the body to a more spiritual maturity. And then you start to interact. And that's why sometimes you can see things and sometimes you don't. The, the massive cigar-shaped UFOs that I saw, they were there. And then to me, they weren't. But they were still there. It's just that I just drifted out of their of their frequency. And when you when you get a compatible frequency with them, you can interact and you can see them. So in terms of all of these things that are coming in dimensionally, yes, dimensions really have their own laws. They have their own frequencies. They have their own, should we say, rules. But a, a dimension is really just just multiple points of focus 
So for argument's sake now, if, if I was two-dimensional or all I said is a two-dimensional world and the people of the two-dimensional world don't understand what up is because it's, it doesn't exist to them, they're two-dimensional and they live in this square and that square is their house, their reality. They have closed windows, they have closed doors, but they live in a square. Now, I'm a third dimensional being, so I can now step in that square and step out of that square. So to the two dimensional existences, I have just appeared and disappeared out of their reality from a, from a dimension that they don't understand, which is up. So if I was to speak to them, now I've left their square, they could hear my voice, but they couldn't see me. So, so many people, and this has happened to me, hear voices. They hear their name being called. That is because they are being called from a dimension that we don't understand as three-dimensional beings. Now, when you look at why do UFOs do 90-degree angle turns, is because in a geometric grid, if you wish to skip from reality to, to reality, or from time to time, you do it at 90-degree angles. And the fourth dimension is it's a 90-degree angle of, to the third. That's why when you see like the cross of Malta or the cross in the circle, each of those are at 90 degrees. When you have the Masonic resurrection ritual, they lift the candidate up at 90 degrees. It is the 90 degrees of separation. It is a consciousness thing. And that is why you see UFOs zipping at 90 degree angles because they are skipping between dimensions, between realities. And wow, these things man. are coming through from all different kinds of realities. Now, when I've seen shadow people, I have seen three-dimensional shadow people walking through walls, rattling the door violently of my bedroom at six o'clock in the morning. And as I've come out onto the landing, I've seen them walking through walls. Now, a shadow loses a dimension in its projection. So when I walk out in the sun, my shadow is a two-dimensional shadow from a three-dimensional being. So if I'm seeing a three-dimensional shadow, you must be at least from a fourth-dimensional being because that shadow has lost a dimension in its projection. So a lot of what we consider uh, what could be hauntings could be just other dimensional entities crossing yeah. over, right? Yes, which is what we do to them. And wow. we become the ghosts in their reality. Mm. And then we just get back into ours because there's so much with parallels and different crossing timelines like wired cables. It is easy to sometimes drift unknowingly into different realities. And again... That has happened to me. Uh, and at the time it happened to me, I had physical proof that it happened to me. And it is easy just to drift as it is from the highway to the slip route back to the highway. It is That is how fluidity it is. So yes, sometimes ghosts, sometimes hauntings are of dimensions or parallels coming into our and then disappearing. Man, that's so incredible. That's interesting. Uh, I could talk to you for hours, like I said, man. But let let us close on this. We're I think we're in a very special time in human ele uh, evolution and where we're headed as a collective. And I want to get your thoughts on that. Do you see a kind of quickening of uh, human consciousness evolution in the past few years? And do you think that there is an underlying reason for it? If so. <clears throat> What I've seen, when I, when I first began to, to become awakened to this, uh, I always had an open mind at the age of seven and eight. I was asking adult questions such as this. But when I, when I first came into it, I kept hearing about a consciousness uh, expansion, really a consciousness shift. And what I'm now beginning to, to, to realise and beginning to find is that consciousness shift is the separation of realities and separation of timelines within our own race, within our own planet, where, and this again is referenced in the Great Pyramid, where you have the sixth civilization, which is the Adam, Adam and Eve age, which is the fall of man, who will some, at some point give way to what they call a seventh civilization, which marks the return of the pyramid capstone, which is the second coming of Christ. And when you look at the likes of the Olympic flame and the Statue of Liberty flame, that is the flame bearers of humanity, the knowledge keepers. And the ancients talk about a seven civilization of knowledge keepers. They are the ones who are getting it. They are the ones who are advancing themselves to a higher frequency. The ones who are not getting it are getting further and further away from the ones who are. 
and what's happened in the last couple of years, especially with with different uh, lockdowns and, and different things, is a manifestation of the obvious. It's becoming like a black dot on a, on a white page because it's becoming obvious as, as to who's getting it and who ain't. And that's what I really foresee. Uh, humanity will get it. I mean, again, referencing the Bible when it talks about the only begotten son, when you analyse the word begotten or beget, it means wounded lamb. Now, the significance of a wounded lamb is a wounded lamb falls behind the flock. It needs extra attention. It needs extra nurturing. Now, when you look at the word only in Hebrew, it means one accord. So what the only begotten is telling us is that everyone must be brought forward together and no one should be left behind. And everyone will have the opportunity because this knowledge is widely available for everyone who looks for it. And it's not as easy as Dr. Google or Dr. Bing give you all the answers because this, this kind of information, you have to work at it. You have to work it out. You have to decipher it. It is multiple layers, literally multiple layers of me. Yeah. And you have to work at it. But but I, I do I do have encouragement for humanity because it, it's been written in stone. And if you imagine how I liken it now, really, when I've looked on other timelines and I've felt like I've been looking back we come out of it good. Now, if you imagine that you are now a movie script writer and you've written a movie, you've, you've written the script for the beginning, the middle and the end of the movie. We now have actors who have read the script. So they too know the beginning, they know the middle, they know the end. Then you have the audience who don't know what's going to happen yet because they haven't watched the movie. This has all the hallmarks have already been written, already been concluded. We are simply just acting the scenes mm. to get there. We come out of this okay, even though it's going to be a rough ride. Yeah. Man, I think you're spot on, and I love it. Uh, this was a great conversation, and I definitely want to do this again in the future for sure. Before you head out, Michael, let the audience know where they can find your work, if they're interested in finding more about you, social media, all that good stuff for them. Again, if you just type my name into the search engines or on Facebook, I do come up. But, but the best place to go, which is the center of all of those, is my website, which is michael-feely.com, F-W-L-E-Y. From there, you can read lots and lots of free blogs, lots and lots of information and videos, and you can also just click on links to the various social media sites and YouTube sites from there. So that would be the easiest place to find me. Perfect. I will have that link right there in the description for everyone. Thank you again, Michael, and I'd love to definitely talk to you again soon. Anytime. You just have a word. Right on. All right. Well, till next time, everyone, have an excellent evening, and we will talk again tomorrow. We'll see you then.